All right, Meadow Ridge, how are you guys tonight? Yeah. All right. Well, I am excited to be up here and to be with you. And before we do anything else, before we do anything else, we're going to do the same thing that we did last night because I know, I know how much you guys love to clap and cheer and all that. So we're going to put all our hands in. Ready? Put all our hands in. And on the count of three, we're just going to clap with all we got. And then we're going to save it till the end. All right? You got it? Ready? On the count of three. Ready? Here we go. Hands in. Everybody, we're going to agree with each other. Hands in. Come on. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Here we go. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Sweet. Hey, guys. All right. Great moment. Great moment. All right. Awesome. I think we're finally ready. So, this morning we had a skit. And the skit ended off with that doghouse being open. And like Harrison or Monica or whoever's setting up those skits, they, they've shared with us that those are from Scripture. And so to start our time together, I'm going to read that Scripture, that little piece for us this evening. And then we're going to jump in to the rest of, of tonight. So this is found in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, Jesus had gone to the cross. All the sins, all the wages of those sins were placed on his shoulders. He was pierced for our transgressions as scripture predicted that he would be. He suffered a death that we deserved, that we had earned for ourselves. He paid the ultimate price and made the ultimate sacrifice for us while we were still his enemies as a result of sin. John chapter 20, verse 1 says this, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Some may even say he was his buddy. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John was slightly faster in case you didn't catch that. Verse 5. He stooped and looked in and saw that the linen wrappings were lying there. But he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed that the linen wrappings were lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus, Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Before we go any further, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for tonight, for the opportunity 
to open up your word, to look into your holy scripture. Lord, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would illuminate our understanding about you, the love you have for us, the grace you've extended to us, the price that you paid for us. And I pray that the hearts of, of people would just be open to you and how you would work. I pray that you would draw people to you, to your good news, to your gospel message. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I told you guys a little bit about my story. Where I left off, I had crawled out of the dumpster, not metaphorically, for real. I had crawled out of the dumpster, and I had made my way home, and I told you that my mom was concerned. My parents are, are amazing people, and they love their boy a whole lot, and they don't, they don't stop at anything to, to make sure that their boy has what he needs and, and is able to be heard and is able to, to feel loved, and, and so... My mom, she had heard of this uh, amazing guy who, he was a counselor in town. He was a Christian counselor in town, and his name was Dan. And so she didn't ask for my opinion, because if she asked for my opinion, I would have said, no way, I'm not going to a counselor. And I learned quickly after meeting with Dan for a few weeks that there's nothing wrong with going to a counselor. It's not a bad word. It's not a bad thing to be able to sit and talk to someone who genuinely is interested in you, listens to you, cares for you, wants to point you in the direction of the freedom that Jesus has for you. And I told you I gave my life over to Jesus in the midst of that dumpster, but I, I didn't truly understand what that meant. I, see, I knew a lot of stuff about Jesus, but I didn't, I didn't understand that moment. And so I, I started to talk to Dan, and when I first went to counseling, I was reluctant to speak. I, I showed up for the first five sessions and really didn't say a word to him. I just showed up because my parents wanted me to. See, some of you guys may have come to camp like that. You may have come to camp with like the preconceived notion or the, the idea in your mind that you're going to come to camp and you're going to have fun, and you're going to play all the games, and you're going to eat all the milkshakes, but you don't want to hear about that Jesus guy, and you certainly don't want to give your life over to him. Some of you guys showed up that way. That's how I showed up to counseling for the first five weeks. And week six, Dan hit me with a question, and he goes, who is Jesus to you? I didn't really have an answer. And so I started to talk to Dan, and I started to ask him questions, because I'm not really a great question answerer, but I'm a definitely a good question asker. And so I reverted the question back to him. I took attention off myself. I told you guys I'm really good at deflecting. And I said, tell me who Jesus is to you. I said, how much time you got? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I think this session goes for another 45 minutes. He said, we're going to need a lot more time than that, but we'll start in the book of Romans. And so tonight, I want to do just that. And if you don't catch all these verses, if you're not able to flip with me fast enough through the pages of your Bible, like I've said before, write them down, go back to them. I'm going to read them out loud and really what this means for us as people who have been given an opportunity through Jesus to say yes to something that is beyond all comprehension. So check this out. We're going to start in Romans 1. That seems like a great place to start. Romans 1, we're going to start in verse 19. And as I start to read these wor words of, of God that have been handed down to us, maybe this is going to make a lot of sense to you guys. Maybe you're going to see yourself in pieces of these scriptures. Check this out. This is Romans 1, 19. It says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, 
his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, in this passage, it explains the human condition. I don't know about you guys, but when I come to a place like Hume Lake, I am reminded of the power, majesty, creativity, and authority of God as I look at the things that he has created, as he shows me time and time again these giant trees that I can't even begin to fathom how large they are or what's going on inside of them internally. As I think about how many fish are inside of that lake, as I see all the different bugs that are flying around in the air and understand that they are unique in and of their design. As I was new to being a dad, And I held my baby boy for the first time, and I looked at his face, and he was a beautiful blend of both myself and his mama. I couldn't help but see the thumbprint of God all over him. It doesn't take long to look at creation and understand that there is an all-creating, all-powerful being that put it all together. But yet, Scripture explains the human condition because at our core, We don't like the idea of a higher authority, and so what do we do? We darken our understanding to the existence of that higher authority and fixate our attention on other things, oftentimes ourselves. See, this happened in Jesus' life as well. As he walked, the word became flesh, and he walked among us. People darkened their understanding to Jesus. Why? Because they didn't want to lose power. They didn't want to lose prestige. They didn't want someone else to sit on the throne because really, ultimately, they wanted to sit on the throne as do we of our own lives. John 6, 35, I read this one before. It says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Jesus offers himself as the bread of life, but he's not merely concerned with the things of this world or or filling our temporary longings that hunger or thirst might create, he is ultimately concerned with fulfilling a deeper longing and an eternal need, not simply the things of this earth, although he cares about those things too. John 8, 12 says this, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This right here, this statement as Jesus is equating himself to the light is is a statement that the Pharisees would hear and they would remember stories from long ago as their ancestors walked in the wilderness, in the desert, and God gave them a pillar of light to guide them in the darkness. And now Jesus throws out an I am statement, which they are also very familiar with. If you remember back a couple days, Moses had an interaction with God, and God says, I am. That's his designation. Jesus is using the same two words, and he's equating it with a time that God guided people. Jesus desires to do the same thing for each and every single one of us who choose to acknowledge that he is the light of this life. Romans 
3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. We can't possibly meet the standard. But it's all-encompassing. It's every single person who has ever existed, currently exists, or will ever exist, apart from one, the Word who became flesh, who lived a life that we can't possibly do ourselves. Romans 5.8, for God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that. I love that. While we were still sinners, while we were his enemy, while we were so fixated and focused on the cares of self or the cares of this world, God, in his love for us, demonstrates that love. He doesn't just talk about that love. He demonstrates that love. While we were still his enemy, Christ died for us. John 10 10 through 11 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, ultimate life, ultimate satisfaction, that void that we talked about last night that we try and fill with all sorts of things. Jesus came to fill it. He's the only one that can. He's the only one that knows what it takes to put the pieces that we have missing back together. Why? Because he knows us in our inmost beings. He knows what sin has created in our lives. He knows our own insecurities, our own shortcomings, the things that we want to keep in the darkness. He's well aware because he's sovereign. He's all-knowing. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down the life for his sheep. The father demonstrates his own love for us in this. He gives up his son while we were still his enemies. My family loves coming up here. We truly do. It's, it's something that's super fun for us. We have great family time together. Man, spending time with you guys is fantastic. And... I love that you guys get to interact with them. You know, it's super fun to sit at the end of the dock and have Cannon hold up the little scorecards and <laughs> talk on the microphone. And, you know, it's, it's fun to play the night game with my boy Gunner. Uh, I, I just love them, man. They're awesome. They are some of God's greatest gifts to me. There's one family member that I haven't talked about yet since being here with you guys. And, and uh, her name is Sayla. And Sayla is seven and a half, and Sayla is our, our, our baby girl. She's in between the two boys, and, and Sayla lives with Jesus, and I know what it's like to sit there and wrestle. I've heard that some of you guys are wrestling this week. Some of you guys in your minds are, are mulling around the, the age-old question of why would God allow bad things to happen? My little baby girl was, was 39 weeks in the belly. We were one week away from her due date, and we were so excited. You know, I was excited for my wife because she had to deal with me and Gunner. That's a lot, of, a lot of dudes floating around. So I was excited for her to have a little blonde girl that looked just like her and run around with her little pigtails and things. I was so pumped, man. I'd, I don't like painting, guys, but... I went into the room and painted a wall in, in, in the room that we had designated for her. And my wife came through and put glitter on the, on the wall, too, so it was just pretty. She made this little throw rug 
I still remember all the colors of it. I'd put her car seat in with utmost care because this girl's precious. And uh, 39 weeks, the doctors started noticing that my wife was measuring a little bit small. They said, hey, it's not too much to worry about, but we want to make sure we monitor, monitor her a little bit more just to make sure baby's okay. So that's fine. It's great. And so we went to an appointment every day. And then one day, all of a sudden, the doctor kind of looks a little confused and nervous. And they look at us and go, go to the hospital right away. Like, oh, okay. I'm thinking it's baby time. Like, we're going to the hospital. That's a good deal, right? It's baby time. Let's do it. And we go. And they start hooking my wife up to all these machines. They were waiting for us in the lobby. Start hooking her up, all these machines. And I know what these machines are supposed to be doing. I've been looking at them for 39 weeks. Like, I know. And where they're supposed to be the little boop boop, you know, it's just flat. And I, I start praying, God, let there be a heartbeat. God, you wouldn't have us come this far for there to not be a heartbeat. God, let there be a heartbeat. Come on. I don't know how to do this, God. We got the glitter wall. I got the car seat in the car. Like, God, come on, man, let there be a heartbeat. And I keep praying, and I keep praying, and I'm watching my wife, and she's understanding the gravity of what's happening in this situation. A couple minutes go by, and all of a sudden, my prayer changes. Because I remember all the times that God's faithfulness has trumped my unfaithfulness back to him. And so my prayer changes, God, sustain my family in the midst of this trial. I know your word promises trials of many kinds, and, and they're not a result of you playing puppeteer master with us. They're a result of living in a broken and sinful world, and you desire for us to trust you above our circumstances. You desire for us to trust you above our loss because you're bigger than all those things. You understand those emotions. You created them, and you do not want us to stay stuck, but you desire for us to grow through the things that we are going through. Lord, sustain us because if it's up to me, I don't have it. I don't have it in me to make all the phone calls to all the grandparents to tell, to tell them what happened. I don't have it in me to paint over the glitter wall. I, I don't have it in me to take the car seat out of the back seat. So you're going to have to do a work in my life, God, for my family's good and my own. Look, if there's one thing, if there's one good thing about Selah's life being so short, is that she's forever shielded from the pain and the depravity of this world. She never has to experience rejection. She never had to experience the results of sin. She never had to experience the feeling of never being enough for someone. She's perfect. Look, God while we were his enemies, watched as his baby boy, his precious son, who lived a sinless and blameless life, went to the cross for you and for me. 
to pay a wage that we had earned, that we couldn't make right. Because God is righteous and holy. There's a veil between us because he can't have any part of sin. And so he sent himself wrapped in human flesh to do something that we couldn't, to make an atonement for our sin. And as his son is being beaten and spit upon and ridiculed on our behalf... He has to watch it. His boy. And as he's hammered to the cross, and he cries out to him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God has to place his full wrath upon him to forever take care of the thing that we have earned in our own brokenness. I love this passage. Why? Because actions speak louder than words. And you have a creator of this entire universe who did that for you. And as a dad who stands up here, I can honestly tell you I would never do that for you. But he did. While we were still his enemies. And it was incredibly painful to him. Matthew 27, 50 through 51 says this, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God had made a way, and he was the only one that could. You and I, no matter how good we want to be, no matter how hard we try, we can't do what God has done for us. Romans 6, 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. The gospel, it basically means the good news. News is something that you choose to believe and receive. That choice is up to you. The gospel is a free gift, but it's a free gift that will cost you everything. Why? Because it's no longer you. The moment you say yes to Jesus, it's no longer you that sits as the ultimate authority of your life. It is now he that sits as the ultimate authority of your life. He doesn't want to just come to be part of your life. He's not going to be compartmentalized Jesus that's willing to be in these pieces of your soul. He's not willing to give you a better life. That's not why he came and paid that price. He came to obliterate your old life, to do away with it because you couldn't and I couldn't and give you a brand new one with him at the center and him as the foundation so that each and every day you can draw closer to him, learn more about him, be forever changed by him as he takes your mind and takes your heart and makes it afresh and anew through the power of his grace. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, as a result of what Jesus has done, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Don't miss that. There is now no condemnation. There's still conviction. Those two things are different from one another. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I remember sitting in Dan's office. 
And I asked him about this one specifically because I'm like, I don't understand what that means. See, what I thought is that the moment I said yes to Jesus, that he took my old slate, right? My old slate that was filled with all my sins and all my grievances and all my shortcomings with my name at the top. And he broke it and threw it away. And he gave me a brand new one that was clean and white and it had my name on it. And then, boom, that's it. That's what I used to think. And Dan looked at me and he goes, no, your thinking is wrong. I challenge you to read that passage and read others like it and come back next week and tell me what you think it means. So I did. I dug in deep. I thought all about it. I prayed all about it. I said, Lord, illuminate my understanding. Give me the real reason, the real objective, the real thing that Paul is trying to get across in this passage. It's not a clean slate with my name on the top. No, no, no. Because I would screw that up and so would you. It would be, it would be all cluttered with sins and shortcomings and grievances again. Instead, it's a clean slate with my name at the top. And his his attributes and his achievements and his righteousness placed below it. That's what he gives us. He doesn't give us a second chance or a new start. We would totally, we would totally blow that again. Instead, he gives us something even greater. He gives us the opportunity to live for him instead of ourselves. Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's no longer about us. His righteousness covers our tab. Romans 10, 9 through 11. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He has the power to make dead things live again. That's really good news for us. Verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. In a room this size, I'd have to imagine that quite a few of you think that there's many ways to get to God. That there's many ways to have the, the eternity that you want in heaven. There's many ways to, to have your sins paid for. As one dad to you, if there were many ways to be made right in front of a righteous and holy God, God would not have paid that price. If there were many ways for you to stand face to face with a righteous and holy God and he looks upon you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. If there was many ways for that to happen, he would not have paid that price. Let that sink in. He paid that price because it was the only way. It was the perfect way. It's what had to be done. And so he paid that price for you and I. And he didn't do so with a heart that was divided. He did that with his whole heart because he can't go against himself. He's 100% just. He's 100% loving. It's at his core. It's who he is. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not a characteristics. He is that. He is love. And in his infinite love, he pays the ultimate price. And it's the only way. When Jesus says it's the only way, he doesn't speak out of, out of flawed wisdom. He speaks only what the Father tells him to. And so if he says he's the way, the truth, and the light, we can trust that. John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so... I would not have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take it to you or take you to it myself. That where I am, you may also be. See, Jesus cares about our eternal need. 
But don't for a second think that Jesus is out there hawking fire insurance. That he's just simply a way to avoid hell. Jesus cares about our eternal well-being, but he also cares about our well-being here on this earth. He desires each day that we wake up that we invest in a relationship with him that's now possible because of him. That we invest and that we look to him for all things. That, that the understanding that the word brings, it brings comfort and security in an uncertain world where we don't know what tomorrow may bring. We know we have a God that trumps this world that overcomes our hardships, that overwhelms our uncertainty because he is the same today as he was yesterday as he will be tomorrow. He's true and he's good and he's for us. Verse 4, and if you know the way to where I'm going, or and you know the way to where I'm going, Thomas says this, I love Thomas, he asks good questions. Lord, we do not know where you are going, how can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Yes, Jesus is our Savior, but we see in this statement that Jesus is much more in God's redemptive plan. He's a prophet. He is the Word made flesh. He is the truth of the Father spoken into a world of darkness. He is the light. He's the priest. Jesus is the way to the Father. What, what used to be reserved to the priests has now been removed from the priest as God the Father, after Jesus' last breath, tears the veil from top to bottom so that you and I have this mediator that is no longer some chosen person but a royal priesthood, a, a divine member of the Holy Trinity. And Jesus is king. He's the all-powerful giver of life, and he desires to sit on the throne of yours. And all you have to do is simply say, yes, look, my friends, the work has already been done. It's not been done by you. It's been done by him. Do we deserve it? No. Do I deserve it? No. But yet, he calls us worthy because of Jesus' worthiness. Like I said earlier, the gospel, it's good news for all people. And all you have to do to receive it is believe it and call upon a name that is above every other name. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. They're going to lead us in one final song. I'm going to pray, and I invite you guys. Maybe some of you are hearing this for the first time. Maybe some of you are hearing this for the hundredth time. But for whatever reason... God is doing a work in your life, and he's, he's tugging at your heart. See, only God has the power and the authority to change the sinner's heart. I don't. Your leaders don't either. But we want to make a space for those that want to choose to respond to this good news of great joy for all people. And so, guys, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, I'm going to invite you to do something bold. Because while I'm praying, I invite you guys to, to say yes to Jesus. And, and, and it may be your first time doing that. And when I say amen, I'm going to invite you guys, those of you that have said yes to Jesus for the first time, to stand. And that's going to be a really bold thing. But here's the thing, in this new life that you have in Jesus... It's going to be filled with bold moments if you're truly living it for him. So it starts now. And the rest of us, 
we have the really cool opportunity of celebrating what God has done and is going to continue to do in someone's life. Because as people stand, that's representation that our friends, cabin mates, people that we go to church or school with, have been forever pulled from darkness into light. That he has yet again proven that he has the power and authority to make what was dead live again. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, man, I thank you and I praise you for who you are, what you've done, how you work, how you guide, how you lead. And Lord, you are powerful and you are mighty. And Lord, may we always remember that. Lord, I, uh, I know there's people right now in this, in this group that have placed their life into your hands. They've said yes to Jesus. There's no perfect words. It's just simply yes with trust and faith in you, a power and an authority that's greater than us. Lord, thank you for that price that you've paid. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you saw us in our moment of need and you didn't allow us to stay stuck or try and figure it out on our own because we can't. Thank you, Lord, for proving the genuineness of your love for us while we were still your enemies. You sacrificed your son. Lord God, you are good. Lord God, as, as people respond to you, Lord, I know that you are excited and cheering and celebrating the life change that has happened here in this room that will last through eternity. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. My friends, if you have said yes to Jesus for the first time, I invite you to stand right now, guys. I see you guys. I just want to say, as you're standing, yeah, yeah, man. Those of you that are standing, I want to congratulate you on the best decision that you have ever made in your life. Everybody, we're not done yet. I have one more challenge for this group, but man, I'm so, so proud of you. Thank you guys for standing so boldly for your newfound faith in Jesus. That's amazing. There's some of us in the crowd that made a decision for Jesus long ago. And maybe for whatever reason, we've put ourselves back on the throne of our own lives. And I want to invite you guys to do some work with Jesus. This is the last of the Romans passages that my friend Dan shared with me. Check this out. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, because of everything that God has done for us through Jesus, therefore, I urge you, meaning it's really important, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Look, if you are found in Jesus, you are a new creation. It's no longer about who you are. It's all about who you belong to. And it's a daily choice to choose Jesus back each and every day. His faithfulness is not in question, but ours is. Guys, it's a daily opportunity to walk with him through this world hand in hand. Jesus has been I've, or I've been sharing a bunch of Jesus's I am statements with you guys tonight. Here's another one. 
This is John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 11 times in eight short verses, Jesus urges us to remain in him. Why? Because he knows the conditions of our hearts, how easily we are distracted, how easily we become consumed with the cares of this world, the opinions of other people. And he says, remain in me. Why? Because there's freedom in me. There's peace in me. There's joy in me. There's hope in me. And there's a true and purposeful identity that is found only in me. So stop looking for it other places. Look, if you are a child of God, you've received this gift. And I know some of us are in this crowd and maybe we have got a little sidetracked and we got some work to do. I'm gonna pray once again and everybody's gonna be dismissed, but I want those that made the decision to follow Jesus tonight to stay back and have a conversation with a leader, someone who came and gave a week to listen, to be here for you. So stay. I also want to invite those that have said yes to Jesus before, but maybe got a little off track, made other things the highest yes or highest priority, allowed them to sit in the seat of Lord in your life, and maybe got some work to do, some things to talk through, some questions to ask. I invite you guys to stay back as well. It's not gonna take long, and don't worry, you're not missing anything that's going on out there. But everybody that decides to leave, do me this favor. Can you guys leave? in a discipline of silence, respecting those that have chosen to stay back because they know that doing work with Jesus is the most important thing and it's right where they should be in this moment. So I'm gonna pray and then if you're good and you wanna go and hang out in your cabin or hang out around Meadow Ranch, you're free to go. But if you got work to do, I invite you to stay and have that time. Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these students and these leaders. And I thank you for your word I thank you for the staff here and the band and the tech people and, and all these people who have a heart's desire for you to be glorified and you to be honored. For these students to understand the, the price that's been paid and the hope that's found in you, the truth that's found in you, Lord. We don't do this because we think it's fun. We do this because we know that, that you have a plan and a purpose and a desire for us to surrender to you to cast off the old self and pick up a new one. That in you we are not just creation, that we are son and, and daughter and heir. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that truth. Thank you for this time tonight, this purposeful time to do work with you, to lay it at your feet, and to spur one another on. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.